Welcome to The Fully Lived Life, a podcast for those who are longing to pursue the full life and want to break free from anything that holds them back. Listen in as two friends, a psychologist, Dr. Mary, and a life coach, Jillian, talk about life, love, and purpose through the lens of faith, science, psychology, and life experiences. Well, hello, Mary. Hi, Jillian. Listen, I am so glad to be breathing the same air that you are. (laughs) Oh, that sounds funny, but yeah, me too. No, seriously. Yeah, it's so true. It's so... We need each other in the same room. Yeah. I mean... That's all there is to it. I don't know. I'm curious. I certainly feel the difference when we're here together in person versus just through Zoom. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm I'm really excited because um, one of the things we get to do, not just because we're together, mm-hmm. but we get to chat in person yes. about what we're talking about and kind of get a feel for it. Mm-hmm. And I'm really excited to dive in to today's topic. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's, it's an ongoing conversation you and I have mm-hmm. all about transformation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said to you a while back when I was thinking about this topic, like I was doing some training with some leaders and they're pretty awesome. They were awesome, like lots of really good insight. Mm -hmm. But yet I was seeing, and I see it in myself too, where we get stuck with these patterns and it's hard to break free. And sometimes we're not even aware of it. We talk about this with the Enneagram as well. So this whole thing about transformation, I thought, let's talk about some more, like let's even take a deeper dive. And um, I was watching this video of this guy uh, has done this experiment. We'll put the link into our oh, show notes if so you're good. curious. Yeah. He, he was doing this, exp- oh, a friend actually, the, he switched the handlebars on a bicycle. So when you turn the handles right, instead of going right, it would go left. And so this experiment, he thought, Ugh. and he did it on many, many people. And mm-hmm. he just could not, and people could not get their brain switched. It was like the brain was in this automatic pattern of of being able to, you know, ride the bike. So when it was switched, everyone just kept falling off and falling mm-hmm. off and falling. And so he was determined. He was determined to see if he could overcome this thing. Yeah. So he practiced this thing for, uh, it took him about eight months. Wow. To get That's dedication. To That's serious dedication. Uh, now, he also did it with his young son. His young son looked like he was maybe, I don't know, six or seven. Yeah. His young son had it in about a month <laughs> or two weeks. It was much faster. So it goes to show that part of the reason why we talk about learning a language as a child is our brains mm-hmm. are so much more um, plastic or, as they yeah. call it, neuroplasticity. Neuroplasticities. Can't even say neuroplasticity. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jillian. <laughs> so it's that thing that your brain is able to shift gears and you don't get stuck into these patterns. So it took him the eight months and he finally got it. And it was fantastic. And he was doing a road show, showing it, and it was really great. But then he tried to ride a regular bicycle. Yeah. And the funny thing was his brain was stuck and he couldn't go back to riding a a regular bicycle. And he had to practice for some time. And then it's like the switch went on in his brain and he was able to ride it the other way. So isn't that fascinating? It is fascinating. And you know, you really do have to watch the video to appreciate it. It's, it's an engaging video. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you just kind of think, well, you just think your way through it. Well, 
No, clearly right. not. Right, exactly. So it just goes to show that when we have a way of doing things, it gets so ingrained mm-hmm. in our brain that it's like we can't change it even if we want to, at least not just like automatically change it. It takes practice and time, constant repetition, constant practice. And um, so it kind of goes with those concepts that we've talked about before that yeah. knowledge doesn't equal understanding. Right. Uh, so having insight is not enough. It's not. And, you know, I think that there was a time where people, um, you know, back when the Oprah show was big mm-hmm. and people would have their aha moment, right? Yeah. This moment of reckoning and insight. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's great. Everyone wants to have kind of a aha moment where you can connect the dots. Yes. But then that's, that's not enough. Yes. That is not a enough. start. Right. It's a start. And- you know, a couple of podcasts ago, I, you know, talked about that and we had the chart that we've put on our show notes around that Mm -hmm. about insight being the starting place. But a lot of times we think that that's enough, especially in our very intellectual uh, Western culture where we think it's all about knowledge. And I've got the knowledge, so I'm good to go. Yeah. I read the book. I read the book. Uh, I've taken the course. Yeah. I'm good to go. But Wisdom, uh, insight has to transform to wisdom. Yes, it does. And wisdom is when you actually start to live it out. But as you can tell from this bike uh, experiment, it's not even enough that he has the wisdom once. It had to be repetitive, Mm -hmm. constant practice of this new behavior that it becomes transformation. Yeah. And when I think back to that video, I'm thinking, this is a smart guy. Mm -hmm. Like this is a really intelligent person and high level of commitment, but also high level of kind of um, self-deprecating postures because he's doing this in front of a group of onlookers. Yeah. So he had to be really humble. The stakes are pretty high. Yeah. And so I'm thinking, wow, if, if, a simple thing like riding a bike, because we all think that once mm-hmm. you've ridden a bike, mm-hmm. you're good. Yeah. Well, clearly mm-hmm. it's showing us something different. Right. So he said that he needed the constant repetition and practice and it took him eight months. But the other thing he said he found was that he had, if there was any distraction, mm-hmm. he he couldn't do it. So it's right. like this focused, intentional, attentive to this new behavior. Wow. It's not enough to just kind of like... You know, yeah, learn it, it and then learn it, and then you're you're good to go. Yeah. So, you know, from a simple thing like, well, not such a simple thing, but from a simple thing like riding a bike, to more life changing, life altering things that we need to work towards. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, eight months, ten months to ride a bike versus transformational change oh in our lives. Right. Right. And wow. so if you listen to any of our other podcasts, we regularly talk about how we can um, undergo change. You know, we talk about the Enneagram mm-hmm. and integration and all of those things. So number one, have a lot of grace yes. towards yourself. Uh, you are a work in progress. We <laughs> and, all are. We and all are. it's going to take time and you will mess up. Like this guy fell off the bike many, many times in his improving himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the other thing too is to be humble that just because you have it in terms of an insight, mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to have that transformation. And so, you know, with transformation requires that awareness, that practice, but also the accountability. Because when you're in your own head and you're doing your thing, yeah, you're so automatic that you don't 
notice things. And so having friends and family who are going to hold you accountable and you give them permission to do that Mm -hmm. can be really great. And that's what I love about the Enneagram because you kind of know what your blind spots are. You kind of know the typical patterns that you have. Uh, It's a great way for me to communicate that to uh, my friends and family. Like how often have you called me on my Mm two-ness? Because you know it, you understand it. Yes. And it's like you're in my head. <laughs> well, and likewise. <laughs> yes. You know, I mean, when I first got my Enneagram report and mm-hmm. you look at the blind spots and blind spots are what everybody else sees. Yes. But you can't yes. see about yourself. Yes. And um, yes. and every single number on the Enneagram has this huge ouch. Like, really? Mm-hmm. That's the way I come across? Exactly. Like, are exactly. you kidding me? Right. Like, I'm not this big, scary person that everyone thinks I am. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and you're not. I totally, I totally and, see that. And yet, um, seeing that in the report was gut-wrenching. Mm. And then going, oh, okay, so if that's a blind spot for me, I really need to work on my vulnerability. Yeah. So that people get to see that, you know, I'm soft inside, like I'm a big softy inside. Yeah. So, but it takes a lot of practice. I mean, yikes. Yeah. Wow. And we've talked about this in a previous episode on insight. Uh, and, you know, we do this all the time in training classes. We ask people, how many of you think you have pretty good self-insight? <laughs> and, you know, I'd say 80 to 90% of the class will raise their yes, hand. Yes, they up. do. And then, of course, we throw on the slide that actually research shows 10 to 15% of us have good self-insight. And it's the second part of it. Like the internal, I know myself, I know my feelings, although that's a growing thing for me. Um, But it's the second part, which is how am I understanding how other people are experiencing me? And we've said the phrase before, if you're comfortable and if you're brave and if you really want to know, you can say to someone you love and trust, What's it like to be on the other side of me? Yes. What's it like to be on the other side of me when I'm under stress? Mm-hmm. What's it like to be on the other side of me when I'm at my best? Yeah. What's it like to be on the other side of me when I'm in conflict with you? Mm-hmm. Like, if you're brave, those are really good because that will that will show you some of your blind spots. Yeah. And on the other side of it, if I'm in relationship with someone I love, mm-hmm. you know, I hate conflict. Yes, you do. You know that. <laughs> I totally hate it. But if I love you, I ought to give you the gift of speaking truth to you because then I'm giving you a chance to be aware and to correct that. Whereas all oh, the number of times that I or other people who are conflict avoidant sort of go, oh, well, it's just going to be this way. So I'm not going to even bother trying or I'm, I, I hate when people are angry with me. Yep. So we don't actually give that relationship a chance to have repair. Yep. And I've said this before, a healthy relationship isn't one that is conflict free. It's actually one that is able to repair. And so if mm-hmm. I'm not being honest with you about things that you're doing that may be hurting me or bothering me, then I'm not giving you a chance to repair. Now, having said that, if I've done it multiple times where I've spoken truth mm-hmm. and given you a chance to repair, and if I'm not going to talk about you because you're totally, totally into repairing the relationship. Not all like, the time. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> Most of the time. When I'm tired and stressed, I'm not in the mood. Yeah. Well, I know, but I know I got to give you a bit of space and right. then you come back at this. So, yeah. but like if you're in a relationship with somebody who is not willing to own their part of it oh. and you've given them multiple attempts of being um, honest with them. And I'm talking about honesty, not in a, I'm going to just get you between the eyeballs. This is yeah. what you're doing. And I speak in anger. No, it comes from a place of love mm-hmm. where I can speak softly and I can speak compassionately, then 
if that person still is not wanting to take ownership or repair, then I know that that's not going to be a relationship that I can maintain uh, at more than a superficial level. So a bit of a digression there, but that's just going to show how important it is that we do this self-awareness and also um, being responsible to help others in their self-awareness as well. Okay, so how do we go from where you know we started mm-hmm. to this place where we're working towards cons- uh, transformation? And what are some of the biases that we have right. that we get sort of stuck in, mm-hmm. and we might not we might need to name them because we don't even know. But yeah. when we hear them, we go, "Oh yeah, exactly." I think to even start off with the reality that we all have biases. And what I mean by biases isn't necessarily what people think about as in any particular group, but it's just this filter, this way of seeing the world. So I have a two bias and you have an eight bias. And there's a whole bunch of other biases we have. And, you know, people like to think that their thought life is factual and objective, but it's actually not true. Mm -hmm. It is very much impacted by um, social influence. It's Mm -hmm. impacted by our experiences, our historical experiences, our memories about things. There's so many things that affect that. So that Mm -hmm. uh, if we can be humble enough to recognize that we're looking at the world through a particular filter, that is so important. So that maybe... I don't know it all. And maybe I only have one perspective of the entire picture that Mm -hmm. I need to hear from other people. So my perspective isn't the truth. It's just my perspective. Right. And as we are able to hear from others, it's really important. So with this bias thing, think of it as like a, we talk about like a cognitive distortion. And I, and Mm -hmm. I think the word distortion is good because it's that little, yes, little bit of off whatever the truth may be yeah. um, based on some of our experiences. So I was Can just, I give you a simple bias sure. that yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I use this all the time in training? Yeah. So when I was in grade three, mm-hmm. there was a girl named Dawn, mm-hmm. D-A-W-N, ah, okay? Yes. And she was a pickle. Mm. She was a bully. <laughs> okay. So guess what happens when I meet somebody else with the name Dawn? Right. Of course. I make that little association mm-hmm. and I have to check myself because mm-hmm. I'm thinking, I'm not giving you the benefit of the doubt. You're probably a lovely person. Right. But there's this bias towards the name and the association with that name mm-hmm. that can actually create a barrier. Right. And if I don't say, no, this is that was that dawn, not mm-hmm. this dawn. Give right. this person an opportunity. Right. I'm going to shut them down and cool them off before we've even got past hello. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if we talk about our instincts as human beings, our instinct for survival is incredibly strong. We've yeah. talked about that. So if you're interpreting a situation as possibly dangerous or it's mm-hmm. going to cause you some pain, it's going to have that attentive filter to it. And you're more likely to see it as dangerous than maybe what it really is if you've had any trauma. So your memories, our memories are not pure, like hit record and we play and it's exactly Mm -hmm. factual. It's imbued with all of our emotions and uh, all sorts of other filters so that it's our, it's what shapes the way our brain responds to situations. And then of course we're social animals. So if we're raised to think a certain way or to believe a certain thing, it's very hard to separate from that because our need to 
belong is really, really key. And so that's part of it. So just if we can recognize that we have biases. So I was listening to a podcast um, that Brian McLaren does, and he was talking about 13. He was doing some research because he had sort of um, been talking to some psychologist friends about biases, and they sent him all sorts of articles. So he compiled together 13 biases, and he had them all start with the letter C because he said that helps him remember it. So we're not going to talk about all 13, but I think that it's a really helpful thing. And as you are listening, uh, I think it's kind of important to go, oh, shoot, have I done this? And maybe we can also talk about possible examples. So one of the main biggest ones that we often have is confirmation bias. So that's, we prefer, our brain prefers information that confirms what we already know. Yep. And we tend to reject information that would contradict that information. So we, I mean, we can even just talk about with all that's going on with COVID, we will pay attention to data that confirms our position already. Mm -hmm. And so you can see how that confirmation bias uh, can keep us very entrenched. Yeah. And it can also polarize us even more because then people who have a different perspective are even more. And it's like how it doesn't make any sense, but that's what happens is we have this confirmation bias. So I think that's a really good example of how, yep. um, you know, we can get, again, paying attention to things that we already know. Uh, the second one is uh, complexity bias. So our brain, <laughs> this is so funny, our brain prefers a simple lie over a complex truth. Oh, Ouch. Yeah. Really? Yes. So um, as an example, like, let's talk about faith beliefs. Mm -hmm. You know, it's so complex. Like decades and, well, centuries of history, uh, many people who've spoken into it, like even our faith tradition, Mm -hmm. Christianity, uh, recognizing how complex it actually is. But our human brain wants simple right, wrong, true, false. These are the laws. Follow it, period. Right. And as the world, as we become more and more aware of how complex the world is, how complex human nature is, we're starting to realize that these um, dichotomous right, wrong, black, white, um, it just doesn't fit anymore. Have, it just doesn't fit anymore. Because there's too many questions. There are too many questions, and exactly. And if, if we try not to address the questions, mm-hmm. um, that's not helpful at all. Right. And the interesting thing is faith is about not knowing for sure. Like, yep. If I knew that for sure, then it doesn't require faith. Faith requires this level of trusting in the unknown. So it's being able to have tolerance for unknowable things and not having to have all the answers to feel comfortable. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's a a bit of an anxious response. If I kind of know, then I'm good to go. I just have to follow the rules. God, just tell me what you want. I just have to obey you and I'm good to go. But that's the challenge is when uh, life is so much more complex. And yeah. so that's... And a, isn't it? Isn't and it? more and more complex all the time. Yeah, exactly. And we're in a complex time right now. We sure are. With all the things that are going on. So that's uh, another bias. Another one that uh, we definitely struggle with is uh, uh, Brian McLaren calls it community bias, hmm. which is what... I've said before is that our thoughts are actually, our thinking is actually a social activity. Oh. Uh, Because again, we're looking for belonging. Yes. And we take our cues from people around us. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to put what our group thinks 
uh, a lot of times over what truth is. And we'll yeah. tend to gravitate, by the way, towards people who think like us. Of course. So that we can have this whole sense of community. And it's so important to us that part of the reason why people are conflict avoidant is because uh, they don't want to be kicked out of the community. Ooh, and yeah. um, I was talking to a young leader I, was, I coach, and she she has some important truths that she has to bring forward uh, for her own job and for her team's effectiveness that she has to bring forward to leadership. But she's so afraid of being judged negatively by them, that she's oh. not being compliant or that she's not, you know, like passionate about what the um, organizational goals are, that she's kept quiet. And how many times have you and I done that? Oh my gosh. We've clammed up because we didn't want to rock the boat. We didn't want to challenge. We didn't want to be seen as that person that's causing trouble. Mm-hmm. Or uh, So I think all of us can put ourselves in a situation where we've definitely fallen into that bias. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. And that's just even of what we're aware of. That's right. Let alone the group think that happens yeah. because we're part of a community and we we want to belong so we don't challenge that group think yeah. and that can get us into trouble. And then there's something called complementary bias. <laughs> Not complementarian, but complementary bias, which is if you're nice to me, Oh, I'm more likely to be open to your perspective yes. than if you're not so nice to me. So, um, yeah. And people who are political and are very good at reading the room, they also know how they can be persuasive mm-hmm. because you get more with honey. Isn't that that saying? Yeah. You get more honey than with vinegar. That's right. You get more bees with honey. That's right. And then there's contact bias. So I'm more likely to um, see what you see if I actually have interactions with you. So if you're this person I don't know and you've posted something on you know, social media, and I don't know you, I've had no contact with you, I'm much more likely to um, judge you harshly, or mm-hmm. on the other hand, um, maybe to have an un- ac- inaccurate perspective of what's going on. So we're going to have a hard time seeing what other people's perspectives are when we don't actually have contact with them. Yeah. So that's an important one. So if I'm um, growing up in a culture where it's all Asians mm-hmm. and I've not interacted with people from, say, a East Indian culture, mm-hmm. then I'm not going to have the understanding of their perspective. And this actually is part of the reason why uh, racism and systemic racism yeah. can happen. And, and we hate to consider ourselves racist. We don't want to think about that. But I think if we recognize that it's hard for us to really understand another person's perspective if we've mm-hmm. not had contact with their context, their experiences. Yeah, uh, we're going to have bias, and we can see ourselves. If you're living in a a fairly suburban middle class neighborhood, mm-hmm. um, you will not be able to understand the complexities of someone living in you know a downtown core area and an impoverished area mm-hmm. who's you know marginalized yes. and living on you know, with the help of a food bank, you just won't be able to understand it. So mm-hmm. th- that's a really important one. That's mm-hmm. a really, really important one. Yeah. Well, our good friend, Angie Peters, she uh, is the CEO of YSM. And one of the things she's taught me is about generational poverty, because yes. we have this thinking that if they would just pull themselves up by yep. the bootstraps, just get a good job, get a good education. job, work hard, they're just being lazy, um, they can get themselves out uh, and I shouldn't enable them by trying to give them stuff, mm-hmm. as opposed to the fact that there's a generational uh, issue and challenge and that it's just going to take so much work and support yeah. for them to break free of that. So um, 
So the next one is one of the ones that uh, is painful to accept. And it's called the consciousness bias. So our brains see from a location of our level of cognitive maturity or consciousness. So explain that a bit because I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm not tracking with that one as much. So uh, here's a simple example. Uh, sometimes we wished our teenagers would be more mature mm. mm-hmm. in how they're responding to situations. But you have to remember that their consciousness level. Yeah. Or their maturity level is where they're at. And it's not possible for them to see beyond that at this at that point. So uh, one of the things that that teaches me is to be patient. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm all about personal growth and taking ownership and all that. And I can sometimes be judgy or uh, impatient when people are taking their time. But if they don't know what they don't know, they're not, right. their brain is not yet... Um, been practiced in this new awareness that they have to have. Right. So it's we are going to interpret from the level of maturity. Okay, that makes sense now. Does that make sense? Yes. Right. So it just makes things more difficult to see outside of that and beyond that. So like insight is great because I can read it and kind of go, oh, okay, so I that's a wrong perspective or an immature perspective, and I need to have this newer perspective. But again... It's with practice of this new perspective, this new response that makes it habitual. And now when we look at like, you know, we have the saying, oh, we're so mature, it's scary. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's come through like a lot of work and painful realization yeah. and personal ownership. And just the fact that we are at a certain stage in life where we've lived a lot. And this is why it's so important for young leaders, younger leaders to have mentors that are older than them. Yeah. Um, because it is so important that you're able to say from a, a young leader perspective, I don't, it doesn't matter what age you are, mm-hmm. but I don't know what I don't know. Yes. So if I'm going to someone who's a little bit further down the road than me in terms of wisdom and mm-hmm. experience and say, I don't know what I don't know, help me out here. Right. That's a way to really take this consciousness bias mm-hmm. and sort of go, okay, I need to deal with this. Right. And I can do this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And when I'm working with young leaders, uh, many of them are very smart, very learned, and um, they have unrealistic expectations of themselves because they have all this insight now. Mm -hmm. Why are they still doing it that way? And so I often have to tell them is, remember, you are where you are in a maturity uh, standpoint, and you've got to be patient with the process. Yes. Yes. So that's the consciousness bias, which... I love it, as you can tell. Mm-hmm. And then there's the competency bias. This one's pretty funny. We see it all the time. <laughs> yeah. Our, okay. So there's been experiments uh, that when you ask the average person, uh, they almost always rate themselves as above average. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so I so. was doing some training. Um, oh, yes. I was doing some training a week ago. <laughs> yes. And I had a, a really great group. And mm-hmm. I actually joked to them that... Um, this group was like so close to God <laughs> because they rated themselves really high in self-awareness. And then there was this one assessment where it said, you are impervious to stress. And like three of them had scored in this category. And I'm like, who are you? I, I, I want to know what 
is going on with you because I want that. Right. So I think it's this competency bias. Yeah. So it's when um, our brains like to think of ourselves as above average. Mm -hmm. So we are actually incompetent at knowing how competent or incompetent we actually are. That is the phrase of the year. Yeah, right? (laughs) Like basically we don't really have accurate Mm -hmm. self-awareness, accurate self-assessment, I should say. No. Nope. Right. Uh, sometimes it's lower, sometimes it's higher, but we're not really, really great at that. And you know, this can get us into a lot of trouble because yeah. <clears throat> we kind of fake ourselves out, and then we have yeah. to sort of prove to others, <clears throat> pardon me, that we are actually as competent, and it puts us under so much stress. Right. Right. And part of vulnerability and transparency is to be able to say, "I don't know." Yes. Or um, this is a work in progress in me. And, you know, I don't have to have it all. I don't have to know it all. That's Um, right. That's one of the biggest, uh, when I'm supervising uh, young psychotherapists, is I tell them, like, you don't have to be the expert. Mm -mm. You don't have to know it all. It's not possible. No. Right. And being humble and being able to say you don't know, I think it's kind of a really important gift. Uh, So the last two... um, bias he said I want to talk about is our is the um, confidence uh, bias and then comfort bias. Okay. So the confidence bias is our brain prefers a confident lie over a hesitant truth. Oh. So that means that we tend to mistake in confidence for competence. Yeah. And if somebody speaks really confidently, we're more likely to believe that what they're saying is true. Oh, that's scary, isn't it? Yeah. So we can be vulnerable to the lies of confident people. Yes. Uh, So if somebody is presenting as if it's factual and they're very confident, and also especially if they're in a position of influence, whether they have a platform or they're a leader of an organization, just by speaking confidently, we're going to be more likely to believe that they're competent. And that could be a a problem. It sure can. I mean, this is how... This is how people get led astray because they're following a competent, confident leader and they're seen as competent when they may be, you know, Mm -hmm. full of it. Well, um, cults. For yeah, example, exactly. the leaders often speak incredibly confidently, yeah. and especially if it's a religious cult, then they're mm-hmm. confidently hearing from God. That's right. Or their version of God. So that's one. And then the last one, comfort or complacency bias. This is in some ways um, also good, but not so good. Okay, so our brains welcome data that allows us to relax and be happy while rejecting data that requires us to adjust or inconvenience ourselves. Oh, yeah. Yes. So I'm I'm checking a few boxes here. Yeah, I know. It's really scary to me, right? Like, come on. Yes. All that to say, I do this list not to beat you up. No. Um or, or to beat myself up, but to recognize that that we fall prey to these and if we can be aware of it, that's a really really good start. So Insight, just because I know it, doesn't mean that it's not going to filter through my bias. That's right. Uh, When I'm triggered or in a situation, I'm most likely to go into habitual patterns. Mm -hmm. So back to what we talked about, insight is a good basis, and then living it out in wisdom, and then habitually living it out for transformation to happen. That's right. Yeah. And it's the practice, 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 habit-making that actually helps us towards transformation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I'm looking at some of these and going, I know I have a f- I know I have more than a few of them. And 
can I sit and look at this, think of this list again Mm -hmm. and think, where am I really like, Mary, where have you seen me wrapped up in some of these biases? Oh, I'm not asking you to tell me right now. Oh, I was about ready. (laughs) No, off camera. Come on. (laughs) Okay. Well, how about you? I, you and I, let's pick one that we would admit that we struggle with. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, I'm going to say competency. Yeah. Okay. And the reason I'm going to say that is because Enneagram 8s don't like to be seen as weak. Mm. So if we're feeling um, that we can't do something, if we are, we can't uh, we can't be competent enough, uh, then we we think that we've got to prove ourselves. Mm-hmm. And it gets me in such a sweat. Right. Like... Um, you know, I've been very vulnerable about the technology piece. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I just think, am I really getting this? Like, right. like you've told me this three times, but am I getting this? Mm-hmm. But I can't let you, if you're watching me, I feel really like under the spotlight. Mm-hmm. And I get really edgy because I'm feeling incompetent. Right. And I don't like that feeling at all. Mm-hmm. And But yet I don't want to ask for your help because right. I don't want to be vulnerable and right. say, I don't know how to do this. Mm-hmm. So I fall into that one quite a bit. All right. Right. Well, thanks for being honest about that. Um, <clears throat> it also helps me, by the way, to back off when we're trying to yes. go through technical yeah. stuff because I do tend to hover because as a two, I want to help. Yeah, of course you and do. And that hovering is not necessarily helpful. For me, community bias is huge. Mm. Um, you know, what was interesting, I had a, a meeting with my mentor and she said, what's changed about you? <laughs> she said, something's different. She goes, tell me, because I hadn't seen her for, I don't know, about a month or six weeks or so, Uh, maybe even two months. Anyway, I've been really giving a lot of thought to how much I let the community uh, influence what I believe Mm -hmm. and what I choose to do with my life. And I've been more and more um, learning to be more honest, speaking up, even if it's against my community. Wow. And, uh, and, and also just being willing to risk that if it means rejection, but it's an important value for me and it's something that I need to fight for that I have to speak up. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. So that's kind of a bias that I know I have to regulate and you call me on it too. I don't know how many times I do that. Well, we call each other on our stuff cause that's what we committed to. Yes. Right. That, like that's, that's. A part of our friendship is that because mm-hmm. we want each other to grow yeah. and we want each other to be the best versions of ourselves, especially as we age. Mm-hmm. Um, and we joke like we were joking off camera about our traveling roadshow of yes. misfits, like yes. with the technology piece and all yeah. that. And we laugh about it, but it actually stresses me out. Oh, it stresses me out too. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so a therapeutic tip I would say is um, think about uh, the the experiences you've had um, in your family of origin, mm-hmm. in your church, if you go to one, in your community. And as you think about the experiences you've had, um, think about how that's shaped any biases you may have. Oh, okay. And sometimes it might be easier to see it by saying, my parents... Or my yes. family or my community or my church has this bias. Yeah. And then separating yourself from it to kind of go, do I have that? Has That's that, a good one. Has that impacted the way I see 
things. So I'd say that as a therapeutic tip is do a little bit of digging into your history. Yeah. And um, if you encounter things that's causing you pain because those biases have been used against you, then again, as I always say, mm-hmm. is if you need to get somebody to help you, either a coach or a psychotherapist, yeah. um, please do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And for a life coaching tip, um, I'm going to say, is there an area where you had an aha moment, mm-hmm. where you had insight? Mm-hmm. And or gain some insight, but it hasn't gone anywhere from there. Ah. Like you've got the insight, but there's been no transformation. Right. Um, So what are two steps you could take to move the needle? I like that. Um, So, and they have to be actionable because remember you're, we're making it so that, that insight and knowledge becomes a piece of action that helps move you forward to create ongoing change. Right. Uh, So I'll give you an example. Um, so, you know, I, I realized over the course of the pandemic mm-hmm. that I stress eat. Mm. I didn't think I stress it. I, <laughs> I, no, because normally when I get stressed, I get that pit in my stomach and I don't yes. feel like eating. Right. But I've realized that I stress eat and I like to go for things like cinnamon buns and donuts. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then I feel horrible afterwards. Like within right. a half an hour, right. I know I've eaten too much and there's too mm-hmm. much sugar and there's too much carbs. Yeah. So the insight is... I stress eat mm-hmm. and I go for the that kind of stuff. Right. So I need to be conscious of that, mm-hmm. but then I need to come up with, okay, yeah, go ahead and have a little piece of the donut. Mm-hmm. Have, cut it in quarters and have a quarter of a donut. Right. You're stressed out. You need to comfort yourself with something. It's mm-hmm. not going to be the end of the world. Right. Stop there. And then what can you do beyond that? Go for a walk. Mm-hmm. You're going to feel much walk. better yeah. if you've had a quarter of the donut and then take a walk mm-hmm. than if you eat the full donut and then you beat yourself up afterwards. Right. right. So yes. that's what I've learned. Great example. I do um, not always practice it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's that's the challenge is the ongoing practice. Yeah. So it becomes transformation. Uh, and if any of you um, follow the Enneagram and you know your Enneagram number, that you can find lots of information information on that and where your biases may be yep. and where you need to kind of go, oh, I have this insight about myself, but what can I do practically to make those shifts? Yeah. So good. Awesome. Wow. Thanks that for was tuning cool. in. Yes. That was good. a good one. All Thanks right. for leading us through that, Mary. That's yeah, awesome. No problem. Thanks for listening and watching. Take care, everyone. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Fully Lived Life Podcast. We hope you found it encouraging and helpful. Be sure to follow or subscribe so that you never miss a new episode. And if you enjoyed our show, please help spread the word by sharing with your friends and family and posting on your social media. Thanks for listening and tune in to our next episode.